0: Well, as we went through the sixth chapter, the sixth chapter of Revelation, we saw there that it was that the seven-year tribulation period began. Yes, we're still in the book of Revelation. Those seven years, along with the major players, are described beginning with verse 1 of chapter 6 and going all the way through to chapter 19, where there we are told about and see the Lord Jesus Christ coming back in his glory and power. And of course the battle of Armageddon takes place after which he will set up his millennial kingdom and reign for that 1,000 years. We've already looked at chapter 11 where we met those two witnesses. And uh, they witnessed for prophesied for 1260 days or three and one half years. In chapter 12 we were taken to the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, and there there was war in heaven. Michael, the great archangel, and his angels were warring against Satan and his angels, and they overcame Satan and his angels and cast them out of heaven and cast them down here to the earth. That's chapter 12. It's at the midpoint of the tribulation. And now Satan, being cast out of heaven, He knows he has but a short time left. In fact, it even tells you how much. Three and one half years. And so he goes forth upon the earth with great wrath, seeking to destroy the woman... And the woman is representative, a picture of Israel, the nation of Israel, as well as those who are her offspring who keep the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. In in other words, anybody who is following God, he is going to go out and track down and destroy. That was there in chapter 12. and uh, But Satan... Who there is described as a great red dragon, as well as the serpent of old, who is the devil, is a spirit being. And as a spirit being, he is looking for a human that he might indwell and empower in order to accomplish his purpose. And his great purpose is this. He's out to completely obliterate Israel and any who follow God to show that Jesus Christ cannot come back here and make of the people of Israel a nation and enter into his millennial reign. He wants to end that once more. So this is the major conflict going on in the last seven years, especially the last three and one half years. And he needs a person that he can control. He can indwell and control. And of course, he finds that person in what we talked about in chapter 13, where we met the two most dangerous men in the world. They're both described as being beasts, but really we know that to be the Antichrist as well as the false prophet who is his right-hand man. And Satan will indwell that Antichrist and empower him and give him his authority and his kingdom during this time. Well, we first met the Antichrist in chapter 6, where the Lord Jesus Christ, presented as the Lamb, broke the first of those six seals of that scroll that represent the title lead to the earth. And when he broke the first seal, we're told that there was a white horse and a rider on the white horse that went forth. And he had a bow in his hand, but no arrows. He also has a crown upon his head. And we believe this speaks of the Antichrist at the very beginning of the tribulation, going forth, conquering and to conquer, but primarily it begins with an effort of peace on his part. I believe it's also at this time that he makes a peace treaty covenant that is signed with Israel. And of course, we... Read about that in Daniel 9 as well, as they make this covenant of death, if you please, at that time. And this is at the very beginning of the tribulation. By making that covenant with Israel, she's allowed now to build or rebuild her temple. And you saw that temple in chapter 11. She's able to rebuild that temple. Uh, there, where, as you know right now, the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic mosque, presently stands. I also suggested to you two major events that could very well be used by Satan at the beginning to get Antichrist into power. The one is that I do believe the church, the true believers, are raptured out of here before the tribulation begins. And as I said to you, and it's hard for us to gather and comprehend this, but if every believer was immediately removed from the earth, the Lord coming back in the air, and they go up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and they're gone, they're taken up back into heaven, and every believer around the whole globe is gone that quickly, you can't comprehend the utter chaos and the destruction that would be here upon the earth. And whenever that happens, you know the world is looking for somebody to put Humpty Dumpty back together. I mean, in that kind of chaos, anybody who would show up that they think might be able to bring sense out of it, and bring bring it back together, they would quickly grab hold of, and I believe the Antichrist most likely will use that. I mentioned as well to you uh, in the past, in fact, I brought a message on why I do believe that the church will be removed. We call that the pre-tribulation rapture. Others have different views, but that's the view I hold. And I brought a message on that, and you can go to the web page, which is on the front of the bulletin, and you can hear that message uh, by going to our web page, or else you can ask the church office for a copy of that. And uh, you might want to know, well, what are some of the reasons why pastor believes that the, tribu- the rapture will happen, the believers will be taken out of here before the tribulation begins. But I also suggested there was a second major event that may very well play into how Antichrist gets into the power near the first of the or beginning of the tribulation. And if so, that would be the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And there we're told that Russia, we believe it's Russia, with her satellites, which seem to be the Arab countries, at least many of them, they will move against Israel with the intent to obliterate her, drive her into the sea, that she would be no more. And what happens is it says that God divinely steps in and destroys that massive army. And it may very well be that Antichrist at that point takes credit for that. And so if that be the case, and you can read about that also in Daniel chapter 11, well, then you can understand why uh, Israel would enter into a contract of peace, a covenant with him at that point. And you can understand as well why the world would say, here's a man of, of military greatness and power and might. Let's trust him. And he would get in control of the world in that way. And so that is a possibility there uh, that that would take place. Some time ago we covered all the ch- of chapter 6 where the Lord began to claim back the earth that Satan usurped from Adam back there in the Garden of Eden shortly after God completed those seven days of creation. We saw the Lord then, here in chapter 5, take the scroll out of the Father's right hand and He broke the first of those seven seals on it. And I suggested to you that the judgments that resulted from the breaking of those first six seals, possibly took place in the first part of the tribulation, the first three and one-half years. If that is correct, we see from the very beginning just how horrible and destructive those first six judgments are and the terrible effect that they will have upon the earth even in those first three and one-half years. I mean, it will be beyond words, terrible. For example, in that first seal judgment, uh the we I mentioned the prior possible the prior devas, pre- devastation with the removal of the uh, from the earth of all genuine believers and what we call the rapture, also possibly Russia and her allies will have moved on Israel and you have the destruction of that massive army, army, and then you have Antichrist going forth to conquer and to conquer. That was in the first seal. Then the second seal was broken and there was a rider on a red horse and he wielded a great sword. And by it, multitudes and upon multitudes are killed they, and they die. Then there was the third seal judgment. The rider of the black horse goes forth and there's a great famine that spreads across the world. And multitudes die from the starvation of this. I mean, it's like it happens overnight, folks. And then the fourth sealed judgment. The rider on the pale, ashen horse goes forth, followed by death and Hades. And a fourth of the world's people, it said, die from the sword, the famine, the pestilence, as well as from the wild beasts of the earth. You're talking about, as I mentioned before, one billion seven hundred fifty million people die during this first three and a half years of the tribulation. It is hard for us even to, to comprehend such a massive. Graveyard throughout the whole world here. Well, then the fifth seal judgment, we see another. Vast number of people that have died. They're the martyrs. They're crying out, how long, how long, O Lord? And you know, of course, that Antichrist is going to insist that they worship him and the dragon or Satan. And so anybody, including Israel and any that turn and you have 144,000 that are preaching the gospel and people in this terrible time on the earth, they are getting saved in mass. Many of them are. But he is tracking them down. Antichrist and his machinery is tracking them down and they're being slaughtered. And you have that group in there as well. And that was the fifth seal. And then the sixth seal judgment, God strikes the earth with a great earthquake, shaking every island and mountain. The sun becomes black and the stars of the sky fall to the earth, perhaps asteroids or meteorites, uh, showers. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up. And this sixth seal judgment strikes great fear in those dwelling here upon the earth. They know, they know the great day of God and of the Lamb's wrath has come. We now come to the Lord's breaking of the seventh seal. And this seventh seal bears the mother load. Those are terrible that just went by. It bears the mother load in that it contains seven trumpet judgments. With the seventh trumpet judgment containing seven bold judgments full of the wrath of God. So before we look into the seventh seal judgment and the seventh seven trumpet judgments it contains. Let me attempt to set the stage for you. It's good to kind of look things over the bigger picture. I personally believe we now are at the find ourselves at the midpoint of the seven year tribulation. This is right at the midpoint. That time that is called the Great Tribulation. Already that uh, has an impact of the, the uh, magnitude of these judgments that are about to fall. It's also described as a time of Jacob's trouble because it's when Antichrist breaks his covenant of peace with Israel and the false prophet sets up that image of the beast, a reference to the Antichrist and his world uh, power, kingdom, and he sets, evidently sets it up in the, the Jewish temple, and that's when Jesus said they had to flee. Don't stop for anything. Flee! Because now it's all out war as he, Antichrist, seeks to track you down with his machinery and slaughter you. And so that's the time where we find ourselves at the breaking, I believe, of this, uh, seventh seal. This is the same time, as I mentioned, Satan is cast out of heaven. He therefore is filled with great wrath, knowing he has but a short while, just three and one half years left, to accomplish his purpose of utterly destroying Israel and any who choose to belong to Christ. And it's at the midpoint that Antichrist and the false prophet control the entire economy. They control it all. And they institute that mark of the beast requiring people to worship only the beast and therefore Satan in order to do any buying or selling. In other words, in order to have any hope of staying alive. Remember, you've got already major, major famine going on and terrible disruption of the economy and now Antichrist controls it all. I also personally believe it is during the second half of the tribulation that those two witnesses we met in chapter 11... Uh, do their ministry Now, others think it's the first three and a half years we can't be dogmatic about. It. But if I'm right, they most likely are going to play a major role in the sounding of these trumpet judgments. And that's why the world will hate them with a vengeance. And by the way, that's also why they're going to need God's protection to stay alive. Because it's going to be a deadly time as Antichrist actually hates them with a venom and he wants to get rid of them. But I think that God will not let him until they finish their ministry. And when these trumpet judgments sound, it truly will be the time when it becomes hell on earth. Literally. And with that, we begin our outline. The solemn events... Prior to the sounding of the trumpets, you know, I, I stand here, and you sit out there, and things are going pretty good. We're comfortable, we're well fed, we're well clothed, uh, we can drive into the store and get whatever we want if we have the money, of course. We can uh, go wherever we want for the most part, we can fly around, we can go home, we can enjoy ourselves, watch television, whatever it is you do. But boy, abruptly, the whole world faces a major change overnight. And I think we see the stage being set already today. The solemn events prior to the sounding of the trumpets. Something goes on here before they sound. Let me read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 8. That's where we are. Revelation 8, now 1 through 5. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angels' hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. The solemn events prior to the sounding of the trumpets. First, the silence in heaven. We've seen that heaven has been filled with the sounds of praise and worship. Worship of God in the land. The four living creatures cease not to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is who come. All the saints in heaven were singing out, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then the voices were added of myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions of angels who joined in this praise and worship of the Lord. But now it is absolutely silent in heaven. The four living creatures, silent. The redeemed are absolutely silent. All these myriads of angels cease their autumnal praise and worship. The silence is deafening. It becomes a very long, solemn half hour of silence. Why this half hour of silence at this point? In the sixth seal of judgments in chapter 6, human agencies had a large part in them. We saw that. But in this seventh seal and the seven trumpet judgments, heaven and hell will now share in the devastating judgments that are going to follow. W.A. Criswell describes this silence in heaven as one of awe. And of intense expectancy, saying this is the last drama of the ultimate mystery of Almighty God. It is an intense silence of expectancy. It is a silence of ominous foreboding. It is the calm before the storm. And during this half hour of silence, there takes place a most solemn event. Number two, the presentation of the trumpets to the angels. Kind of reminded me of at a funeral, when it's a military funeral, and you wait as you watch them fold that flag in silence and go over and present it to the one who's left behind. The presentation of the trumpets to the angel. Jesus told us that angels would play an important role in the judgment of the last days. In Matthew he said, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out, of the, take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and many other places he mentions about the angelic beings' participation in this last day of judgment. Theologians have called these seven angels the presence angels because they are said to stand before God. Now, we know from scripture there are different ranks of angels. Paul mentions that in Ephesians 6, principalities, powers, and rulers, and so forth. We meet them over in Daniel chapter 10 about those princes of those different kingdoms who were powerful angels. It took the Archangel Mike Angel, uh, 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 uh the Archangel Michael, I'm sorry, to, to help this one get to, uh, Daniel to answer his prayer. In fact, it t- took 21 days for him to get there. And so we know there are rank and order in the angels. In fact, Gabriel may be one of these present angels because when he met Zacharias in Luke 1, he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So he may be one of them. Some believe these seven angels are referred to as the seven spirits who are before God's throne, who are also called the seven spirits of God. I don't know about that, but some think that they might be them. But before these seven angels sound their trumpets, during that half hour of silence, something of great significance takes place. Number three in your outline. The angels' offering of the saints' prayers. The angels' offering of the saints' prayers. Let me read verses three and four again. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angels' hands. This is an Old Testament picture. You're probably aware of it. Twice a day throughout the year, at the time of the morning sacrifice and at the time of the evening sacrifice, the priests went in and offered incense on the golden altar while the people stood outside praying. You're probably familiar with, of that, with that in Luke 1 and Zacharias. He was in there doing that while the people stood outside the temple in prayer. The incense, though, represents the merit and virtue Of the life and death of Jesus Christ. Our prayers would never be heard, never be received by God if it was not for Jesus Christ. He's our intercessor. He's the one who paid the price for sin and gives us acceptance before the Father. And the prayers of all God's people are perfected, therefore, and accepted by the merit and worth and virtue of the sacrifice and the resurrection and the intercession of our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, though, that this angel offers up with the incense the prayers of all the saints. All of them. What an encouragement that should be to you and me to pray. W.A. Criswell encourages us with these words. He says, no prayer is ever lost. It is kept before God. Whether the prayer was uttered when time was young, or whether behind a door so closed nobody could ever know or see, all of them are kept before God, and to them is added the merit and virtue and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, dear, dear ones, your prayers and my prayers are sanctified by our Lord and Savior, and they're most precious to God. Do you remember what Job said when he was going through his hard time? Basically he said this, Why pray? God doesn't hear anyway. Does anybody feel like that ever? Thank you for Job. In fact, that God corrected that. And here you have at the end of the history of mankind that God says all those prayers were ascending up to Him. And silence in heaven? Wow! God is about to respond to all those prayers. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, it's done perfectly in heaven. And now He's about to respond. No wonder this silence for a half hour in heaven. Both because He's going to respond and how He is about to respond. But especially... But especially the prayer of those martyrs during this tribulation period are magnified in this angel's ministry before the altar. Remember, go back to chapter 6, verse 10. Verse 9 and 10, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And believe me, dear ones, their prayers are about to be answered. By the way, again, that's another reason why I happen to believe in the pre-tribulational rapture position because we don't pray for them to be judged today we pray for God to forgive them to have mercy upon them and we pray that for that love to be manifested but here they're not praying that they're not praying that. they're saying God get them I love it that's why I always want to pray God says no no Bill that's wrong <laughs> but they're praying it They want God to move in judgment upon them. Isaiah, remember that prayer, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down. And this brings us to number four in your outline. The angel's throwing of the fire to the earth. He just offered this fire and this incense and the prayers, which represent the prayers up to God. And now he goes to the brazen altar, verses 5 and 6. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar. That's the brazen altar, not the altar of incense. And threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashes of lightning and an earthquake. This act is clearly in response to the angels offering up to God the prayers of all his people. It's clearly in response to that those prayers especially those martyred during this tribulation period. This angel now goes to the brazen altar where the sacrifice for sin is offered. He takes coals of fire from this altar, the altar of judgment upon sin, and he throws those fiery coals to the earth, revealing the judgment from God that is about to come in response to all these saints' prayers and following that act are peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake jb smith says in this verse thunders are mute rumblings of nature which tell of the approaching storm lightning suggests the rapidity with which they strike the earth the earth quakes as if to shudder at the outrage of her inhabitants end of quote remember god's throne room in chapter 4 what was going on there though? we saw? This was not the throne room of grace. This was the throne room of the throne room of the wrath of God. Out from underneath the, that throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And now this great storm uh, it comes out from heaven uh, under God's throne and hits the earth. That brings us to our next major movement in your outline, the sounding of the first four trumpets. The sounding of the first four trumpets. You know, there's an interesting division that you can notice in both the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. And number one is that interesting uh, thing there. The four, three division in the judgments. It's just interesting to note. There's a four, three uh, division in the judgments. For example, in the seven sealed judgments, we saw the first four were introduced by the four living creatures that stand before the God's throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. While the last three were announced without their participation at all. And then you come now to the seven trumpet judgments, we see a four-three division again. The first four are included in one vision, while the last three are included in a separate vision As woe trumpets. With that go to number two. The first trumpet sounds. Verse seven. The first sounded. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. Trumpets played a major role in the nation of Israel, as you probably are aware. A loud trumpet was blown, for example, at Mount Sinai when they received the law. One of the feasts Israel celebrated was called the Feast of Trumpets. A trumpet was sounded on the Day of Atonement during the year of Jubilee. Two silver trumpets were used to assemble the children of Israel and direct them in moving from place to place during those wilderness journeys. And then the trumpets were used as to sound the alarm for going to war. And then Joel brings this out. The prophet Joel speaks of a trumpet being blown to sound an alarm concerning the coming of the day of the Lord. And here you have those trumpets being sounded. In verse 3, It says that four angels were commanded, this is chapter 7, verse 3, I'm sorry. Four angels were commanded, do not harm the earth, or sea, or trees. Get that? Do not harm the earth, or the sea, or the trees. But now, the time has come to do so. I believe the two witnesses may very well play a role in this. Look over chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. And if anyone wants to harm these two witnesses, fire flows from their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of are prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. They may very well play a major role in these trumpet judgments. They may be the ones that are calling them down, and boy, there they come. This judgment that falls is similar to the seventh plague Moses brought upon Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. The hail and fire not only destroyed the trees, the crops, the grass, it destroyed any people and any animals were caught in. it. Listen to me. This is hard for us to figure. We live around trees and forests everywhere, don't we? Picture yourself being there when this happens. You can look over to the Olympics, one third of them on fire. You look to the north, you know, to the Cascades and to the east. again. Yeah, one third of them on the fire. Can you imagine? We've already had some terrible fires this summer in uh, uh, Washington, as well as Oregon's had them in, in California, and of course that one fire over there east of the mountains. It burned over a hundred homes. Can you imagine the devastation? I mean, fire. You could be in the middle of Arlington and, and be burned to death here with that kind of fire's going on all around you. I mean, every one third of all the trees. This is not just exact. This is not exaggeration. This is the judgment and the wrath of God that's falling on the earth dwellers dwellers who seem to worship this earth instead of the God who created it. One third of them on fire. The hail and fire destroy the animals and men caught in, caught in as well. One-third of the earth's trees and green grass was burned up. We saw several forest fires, as I mentioned, so you get an idea just a little bit of what that's going to be like then. The effect of such catastrophic fires will be widespread and devastating, including destruction of crops, death to animals on a massive scale, loss of wood for construction, and the destruction of watershed. Remember, the world will be experiencing an extremely severe drought as well. No wonder there's fires all over the place. Well, number three in your outline, the second trumpet sounds. We're just getting started. The second trumpet sounds, verses 8 and 9. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. What? How do we even get a hold of what kind of massive destruction is taking place here? We know what terrible destruction results from tsunamis. And surely this is going to cause tsunamis. Hundreds and thousands of lives swept away and lost in massive damage and destruction to property and natural resources. This judgment, as you notice, affects a third of the ocean, a third of the creatures in the ocean, as well as a third of the ships. Listen, you will not want to live anywhere near the ocean at this time. In fact, you won't even want to be here. Number four, the third trumpet sounds. The third trumpet sounds. Verses 10 to 11, The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the stars called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. You know, it's possible that the scientists may see this one coming. I mean, there's something out there, and it looks like it may not miss the earth. And you know, on the news, as they, of course, it's a devastated world already, but on the news, they're seeing this day in, day out, as they see this thing every day, more information. I imagine the world I already experienced these kind of judgments wonder, what's next? What's next? And so they watch this thing coming here. The rivers will run with deadly poison. Evidently, whatever it must, must fragment and fall apart and affect these streams. Wells will become contaminated with death. The lakes and reservoirs will be filled with toxic waters. And you know, water is such a basic necessity. And I said, you're already in drought and the sun and so forth, the, the hail and fire is burning up the mountains and the trees and so forth. You, you know, you kind of wonder what store is left to carry bottled water. Huh. And even if there was one, you couldn't get it without the signature of the antichrist having his mark look at chapter 14 verses 6 and 7 just trying to get get this whole picture in your mind of how quickly these judgments come and the devastation of them but look at verses 6 and 7 chapter 14 and i saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth so god is still compassionate merciful trying to get people saved and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. Isn't that interesting? Mother nature, oh no. You better focus your attention, if you're in this time, on God. For he's the one who's entering into judgment with all mankind at this point. Going back to our text in chapter, nine, or chapter 8, we come to verse uh, 12. The fourth trumpet sounds. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck. So that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. You may not think that that's too significant of a judgment. I mean, after all, many say, well, I'd just soon not have the sun. It's been burning everything up. One wonders, though, if this might be because of volcanic eruptions around the world at this time. This judgment affects a third of the sun, the moon, the stars. The loss of heat from the sun will cause temperatures to plunge drastically all over the world. Earth's weather patterns will be severely disrupted. The sea's tides will cause violent, unpredictable storms. All of this will lead to the further loss of crops as well as animal and human life. Amazing. Jesus, along along with the Old Testament prophets, warned that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. J.B. Smith writes, It is of considerable interest to note the progress. One-third of the green trees and grass, one-third of marine life and shipping, one-third of the waters, and one-third of the heavenly bodies. Food is destroyed. Distribution is crippled. Water supply is limited. Production is hampered. End of quote. That brings us to our next major movement, the sounding of Trumpets 5.0. And, six. and believe me, there will be nothing like these. The sounding of trumpets 5 and 6. Number 1, the eagle's message of woes to those on the earth. Verse 13, the eagle's message of woes to those on the earth. Verse 13, then I looked. Notice there's a division here. You had four out of heaven. And now there's this division of the... Vision of the Wolves. I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Uwe, to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. In the fourth trumpet judgment, the dimming of the celestial light set the stage for a startling and an ominous announcement made by an eagle flying in mid-heaven. Now listen, some translations record it's an angel. I'm not dogmatic, I don't know what it is, but whichever it is, it has a message for those left on the earth. This eagle or angel cries out these three woes, and in the original language, what we call it it sounds exactly like what it is. Oye, oye. OI is your Greek. Number two, the first woe when the fifth trumpet sounds. The first woe when the fifth trumpet sounds. We begin with the fallen star and the bottomless pit. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw, John says, a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth... And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Obviously, this is not a literal celestial star. Because it's a person and it's given authority. You remember in chapter 12, we saw that Satan is cast out of heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation. And perhaps this most likely is he... And he is the fallen star. It says it's a perfect tense. It means it's all, he's already fallen. And that's a reference most likely to chapter 13 where he's kicked out of heaven. Or chapter 12, I'm sorry, where he's kicked out of heaven. But then it talks about the bottomless pit, the abyss. In chapter 20, we find out that Satan will be bound there for that thousand years when Christ establishes kingdom. But here he's given authority over it. And then notice Number B in your outline, the release of this locust horde. Nothing like it. Verses 3 and 4. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. Then remember where they come from, the abyss, the pit. They came this locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth nor any green thing or any tree because that's what most locusts do. But these weren't that kind of locusts, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Look at verses 7 through 11. Chapter 9. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, And on their heads appeared to be crowns like, you use that uh, similarity, the word like a lot here, like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. And they have tails like scorpions that sting, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. And they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. What do we know about demons? Well, I'll tell you what, most of our knowledge probably comes from the Bible. Probably the Gospels. And I think about the fact that, that uh, Satan, if it is Satan indeed, the fallen star, he's given this key to this bottomless pit, and he releases something there in the bottomless pit that's an awful lot like these locusts, but they're completely different than locusts we would know. What do we know about demons? You remember Jesus and the disciples went across the the lake to Gadara? And there are the Gadarenes. And there was that man, actually there were two of them, but he was possessed by these demons. And he was so ferocious, he went through the uh, caverns and cut himself and screaming. And somebody or some buddies were able to get chains on him. And he would burst them asunder. People were scared to death to go by that place, I'll tell you. And Jesus comes along and he has a conversation with the demons that are in this man. And this demon says, we're legion, which means 6,000. 6,000 of them? And they plead him. Well, they say, if you're going to cast us out, where do they not want to go? Come on, the pit. Don't send us to the abyss. Don't send us to the pit. Evidently, if they go there, they can't get out until this time now. Don't send us to the pit. And there's a herd of swine over there, which I think it's interesting that this is Jewish territory and they got swines, these pigs. And so he casts them out. There's about two thousand. They go in there and they just so control the pigs that they run over the cliff. Evidently it's a cliff and down in the sea and are drowned. And God in this plague, evidently this trumpet judgment is going to release these demons. All listen. You think things are bad now, and they are. Around the world, they're bad. We haven't a clue what it's like when all hell is released and these demons just take the swarm. They swarm over the whole earth. Of course, Satan is empowering his number one man and trying to set up his one world kingdom. And now you got these demons on the loose. And notice what it says about them in this play. They sting these men. I don't know. They could be actually little critters that are demon-possessed, but they're critters we've never seen before. But they 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 inflict these pains. And for five months, these people, they want to be killed. They want to die. They want to commit suicide. And God will not even allow them to do that. It's going to be a horrible time. This is a severe judgment from God. But it doesn't end there. Doesn't end there. He says the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. And so we move then to... Already it becomes hell on earth, as I mentioned. The earth will be literally overrun by demons, fallen angels under Satan's control. And we can't even begin to imagine just how horrible and dangerous it's going to be in this dark hour upon the earth. And also, again, the judgment. They, they, they are inflicted, they want to die, and they can't. It's upon the earth dwellers. Those who have the seal of God are, are separated, just like Goshen was separated from the judgments there in Egypt. But we come to number three, the second woe, when the sixth trumpet sounds. Let me read it, verses 12 through 19. The second woe, when the sixth trumpet sounds. The first wolves passed, behold, two wolves are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Interesting. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed. So twice he mentions that. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone. By the way, that's what also comes out of hell. Which proceeded out of their mouths, and the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The second woe well, when the sixth trumpet sounds. First, the four angels bound at the Euphrates. That is amazing. God says it. Peter and Jude speak of bound angels. Second Peter 2 verse 4, God did not spare angels who when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Jude says, and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. But what's significant about these four angels being bound at the great river Euphrates? Evidently, they're big, powerful angels. I mean, they're not the normal run-of-the-mill. They must be very powerful. Obviously, they have fallen sometime in the past. David Hawking reminds us that the Euphrates River is one of the four rivers which came out of the Garden of Eden. Obviously, that was destroyed, but still that same territory over there. Since it was the place of Satan's original deception of Adam and Eve, it is possible that God has kept the demons in check there as a reminder of the original evil Satan brought into the world. He continues, Another possibility regarding the river Euphrates is its connection with Babylon and the symbolism as Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. According to Revelation 18-2, Babylon becomes a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. End of quote. But notice the vast army. Number B, the vast army under their control. Listen, you know the Far East countries, such as China, can muster an army of 200 million men, but this is not that army. Keep that in mind. It's not that army. That comes over in the bowl or vile judgments. And you read about that uh, when they come from the east, when the sixth bowl of judgment is poured out, as stated in chapter 16, verse 12. The, the, but the, notice the description that these are killers. Whatever they are. Some of us say, well, we think maybe how Lindsay fits in this category. We think it's, uh, you know, John didn't know what it was, but really it was modern weaponry. But I don't think so. Again, these come out of the pit of hell. Whether there's instruments, there's there's critters that God is going to use, and these demons are going to infuse them, I don't know. But this, again, looks like demonic activity through and through. And this time, they're not going to be tormented for five months. They're going to be slaughtered. They're going to be killed. Already by the breaking of the fourth seal, one-fourth of the earth's population is killed off. said it's a Graveyard. 1,750,000,000 1,750,000,000 people killed and now another third is killed by this plague, this judgment, this sixth trumpet here. If you've got good math, one-fourth and one-third, that equals one-half. Over 3 billion people die. It's interesting. If I'm right and believers are taken out of here at the beginning of the tribulation, what do you have left? You have earth dwellers left. Those that love this earth. those This is their heaven. This is what they want. Not that we shouldn't be good uh, stewards of the earth and the things the earth provides. But these people worship the earth. That's what they do. They're the real environmentalists with an with a emphasis on worship. And that's what they're doing. And God steps in and He just destroys the earth. Just destroys it. Fire destroying all these trees and the ocean and the the rivers and so forth. He just destroys it. Over three billion people dead. And then you have on top of that all those millions of people that are executed because they wouldn't worship the Antichrist. And they did give their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. This will be a severe time upon the earth. And I think it's coming very, very quickly. Number D... By the way, as Jesus declared, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Number D, the unbelievable hardened hearts of the earth dwellers. The unbelievable hardened hearts of the earth dwellers. Verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which were can neither see nor hear nor walk and they did not repent of their murders nor their sorceries nor their immorality nor their thefts very interesting what God reveals here what an astounding picture of human depravity you know it intrigues me because during the millennial reign the Lord here perfect environment I mean people living long lives things are wonderful and so forth and at the end of that thousand years Satan is released and he goes up and he gathers them up by the, like the sand of the seashore who say we will not have this man to rule over us amazing here it's the opposite. God says, "I'll pour out my wrath upon those earth dwellers. I will put up, pour, pull out my. I will pour out my fiery judgments." You would think that they would be repenting in mass, and by the way, many do. Many do. But then they lose their lives for the most part. No such utter devastation doesn't change the heart of man, does it? They will still believe that Antichrist, his world government, will ultimately win the day, and they will be surely delivered. Notice the five areas he brings out they won't turn away from: the worship of idols, the worship of idols, and then murders. It seems to be commonplace even now in our society, isn't it? You know, you get fifteen years if you murder somebody. There must be something like manslaughter, whatever it is. You know, there's somebody can get you off. Take the unborn babies that have, the ones that cannot defend themselves. They're murdered. What does God have to say about it? See, this is, this is God. God says, I have a statement. Is He not making a statement to the whole world? Yes, He is. He's making a statement to the whole world here. And the sorceries, that's a pharmacia. That's where we get pharmacy. You think drugs are bad now? They'll really be bad down there. I bet a lot of people be on marijuana then. And of course, you've got the cartels, and always somebody trying to make multitudes of money, big, lots and lots of money off these things. And there, that's what that means Sorceries is talking about the drug, uh, drugs being used in, and immorality. By the way, the word "used" there means all realms of sex that are out of the will of God, from fornication to adultery to homosexuality to lesbianism and so forth. It's talking about the whole thing. And God says. I am moving in judgment upon the whole world. Satan's kingdom, the Antichrist's kingdom. And then you have Thefts. And you've seen looting going on when anything gets out of control and people that are so concerned about the person that was a, that was a, a unjustly hurt or whatever, what do they do? They go bust out the windows, overturn cars, get whatever they can, just the greed of their heart. And believe me, it will be massive during the tribulation as people are trying to survive. Get whatever they can. And God says, that whole business I am bringing my judgment to bear. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Well, this is hell on earth. When it becomes hell on earth, dear ones, it even gets worse. It even gets worse, as we'll see when that seventh trumpet is opened, containing all those seven vile or bold judgments. Well, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You and I, you know, I rejoice. I rejoice I belong to the Lord. I rejoice that He's given us the written word. He's, we read it and we know what's going to happen. And we say, ah, oh, I understand now. They look around the world, what's going on? Thank God for that. Would you join me in prayer at this time? Heavenly Father, we who are saved, say thank you. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from suffering or even being executed. Or suffering terrible accidents or sickness. We're not exempt from that at all. But we have a great peace in our heart because we belong to you forevermore. And your love, nothing can ever separate us from your love. We are secure as the promises of God. We thank you for that. But, Father, we see things changing dramatically in our own country and around the world. And then we come to Revelation chapters 8 and 9, and we see what so abruptly is going to hit the world with vengeance. The storm out of heaven is going to hit this earth and those who dwell upon it. And, Father, they don't have a clue. They're troubled about the economy. They're troubled about Islam. And it's uh, aggressive moves. They're troubled about different things that uh, they have to deal with day in and day out. But they don't have a clue of what's about to come upon the whole world. But we do. And Father, I pray that we will live differently because of this. I pray that we would be people of prayer. I pray, Father, that you would get a hold of our hearts and minds and burden us for the lost people around us in our own families, as well as people we work with, we go to school with, those we live next to. Lord, help us. I realize we, once we told them, we wonder, well, how do I tell them a second time? But God, you will show us how. And I pray that people will come to Saving Faith because of this message. Not mine, but the one that's in Revelation 8 and 9. The one that tells us what's about to fall upon the world. And Father, if we're living in deliberate, known sin, we need your help. We see what you think about that. You gave five areas there. And we see what you think about that and what you're going to do to the world that lives in that kind of sin. And it's time for your people to come out and be separate. And touch not the unclean thing. And then you will receive us and be a father to us. And you will bless us and use us for your glory. And we will bear much fruit. I pray that that also will take place. That we will do what's right in your sight now. Not later, but now. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and glory. Thank you for the salvation that's so great. That's filled with joy for those who walk with you. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.